The Courage to Lead, Episode 88. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you guys are having a great week. Um, I'm having a great week, and I'm excited to introduce you to my guest today. Please help me welcome Alex Munoz. Alex is a game changer. He's a fixer and a no-nonsense entrepreneur who gets to the heart of the matter with business owners. He's not one to let clients sit in their comfort zone or avoid answering the hard questions, but instead challenges stakeholders to identify their dreams and work to achieve them. Alex has more than 25 years of experience driving organizational change through strategic planning and execution. By focusing on a client's specific value and the subsequent growth and scaling of the enterprise, Alex has driven businesses to more than 11 million in revenue growth with up to 61 times return on their investment. An Atlanta native, Alex graduated from Georgia Tech with a bachelor's degree in management and received a master's degree in information systems from George Washington University. After a 15-year career in manufacturing, health information management, and financial services, Alex broadened his experience even more by working in diverse industries, ranging from multiple professional services verticals like law, medical, and engineering to the nonprofit sector. Alex heads up CSR, which is a services and consulting firm that specializes in the assessment, recommendation, and delivery of organizational performance enhancement and or remediation. The hallmark of the company is the ability to quickly and effectively Cautiously analyze, diagnose, and implement solutions for organizations seeking to scale. Alex, welcome to the pro- program. Thanks, Harlan. Appreciate the time. <laughs> no, no problem. A little tongue twister there, but we got through it. There you um, go. Yeah, very cool. And you've you've got a, a long history in Atlanta, right? You've been here for quite a while. Well, uh, I'm one of those rare Atlanta natives. So um, I was born and raised here. Um, my, my dad was, uh, if not the first, one of the first international co-ops. He, was, um, he would work three months in Cuba, and then he would come to the U.S. and, and work three months. And when our friend Fidel Castro took over down there, um, he brought my mom over. So my brother, my sister, and I were all born and raised here. So Atlanta is my home, um, except for about eight or nine years when I was in banking. Um, this is where I, I built my business. Nice. Yeah, you don't meet a lot of Atlanta natives. I grew up in Southern California. Uh, a transplant. So yeah, everybody's from somewhere else pretty much. All right. Well, we're going to get into all that, where you got your start, um, how you got into this, talk a little bit about CSR and some of the things you have going on there. But before we get started, I've got some icebreaker questions that I start off every podcast. These are the questions I ask my guests, uh, questions that were made famous on the TV show Inside the Actor's Studio, where the host James Lipton asks these questions of his Hollywood TV film, and stage stars. And I figure if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So if you are ready, sir, I have these questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? So I'm going to be difficult uh, (laughs) with you, Harlan, in this whole interview. So this is just a a preparation. Um, You're going to get usually me responding to you in English, which is, you know, uh, something I'm very comfortable with, but you'll sometimes get something in Spanish too. Okay. So on this one, you're going to get two words, one in English and one in Spanish. Okay. Um, Accountability is one of my favorite words in English. And in Spanish, it's tapas. Um, I am a big tapas fan. And, you know, you can find me there a lot. So. Excellent. Where's your favorite place? Is there one local? 
my house. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> and everybody's invited. That's right. That's, that's perfect. Right. All right. What is your least favorite word? Uh, again, this is going to be a little bit uh, difficult because it's not one word. It's the phrase, I don't know. It just drives me crazy. Okay. We will talk about that. I'm yeah. Sure. All right. But what turns you on? Challenges that no one wants to do, but are going to be really impactful once they're completed. Nice. Very cool. What turns you off? Apathy. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Uh, that, that's what, related to the I don't know earlier as well. Yeah. <laughs> what sound or noise do you love? My wife's voice. Nice. What sound or noise do you hate? The dog barking on a weekend morning. <laughs> <laughs> Too early. That's Too right. Early. Um, what is your favorite curse word? Well, it's in Spanish, uh, and, I, and I won't launch it because there's going to be people who, uh, who <laughs> I'm sure understand Spanish on your show, but it's, if you're a Cuban, you're, you're going to know exactly the one I'm thinking. It starts with a C, and it's four-letter words. So. All right. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? You know, Harlan, something that allows me to achieve something with my own hands. So, you know, masonry, carpentry, something that is just you go in and with your under your own control, you can you can make it happen. Nice. Very cool. What profession would you not like to do? Um, anything that's really just transactional. Um, and you know, I'm all about the relationship. So, you know, being a paper pusher, somebody who just, you know, does something and then walks away, like even with the masonry and carpentry, it would have to be for something to achieve some larger purpose. Yeah. Very cool. All right. And finally, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Hey, you made it. <laughs> awesome. Very cool. All right, Alex, we're going to come back in a couple minutes. We're going to talk about how you got your start, um, the degrees, um, starting CSR and the work you're doing there and whatever else comes up. All right. Sounds good. All right. So we'll be back right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, Alex Munoz. Alex, thanks again for agreeing to be on the podcast. Um, you said at the beginning, one of the words you hate is, I don't know. I would rather have somebody admit to me they don't know than to make up something. Sure. Um, it, it's, it's, a it's worth unpacking. Um, I have five kids all with the same lovely woman that I referenced earlier. And, um, boy, they would ask me why they would say, I don't know. I mean, in my business life, I encounter people all the time, either my employees or clients that say, I don't know. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about 
as I mentioned, you know, connected with the apathy or mm-hmm. even sometimes laziness. Someone who uses I don't know as an excuse yep. and as a crutch versus, you know, because with those folks, if you sit down and you explain it to them many times, they don't care. They yeah. just, they're, they're using, I don't know, as the way to just float through life. Right. So, so kind of like, I, yeah, kind of like saying, well, that's the way we've always done it. That's yeah. right. Yeah. That's right. Or whatever. <laughs> whatever. Ugh. I'm guilty of that one every once in a while. <laughs> <laughs> we all are. Absolutely. So you talk about your start. Tell, tell us how you got started. When you came out of school, what, what were you doing? Well, you, you know, um, my dad, after, um, after he, he finished at Tech, ended up working at the precursor to uh, the Georgia Tech Research in, uh, Institute. And he worked there through the 60s and into the 70s when he started his own business. And that business happened to be right next to what is now known as um, Atlantic Station. It used to be called Atlantic Steel. It was a steel mill. Mm-hmm. And he set up his business there and I would work um, while I was in school. I would between classes or after or before uh, going to tech, I would go and, and, and work at his place. And um, I did a variety of things from cleaning toilets to washing glassware in the labs to um, running the front office as, as the, as the controller. And um, when I was done with tech, um, I kind of had a, a fork in the road um, I could continue working for my dad, um, or I could kind of test the waters of, uh, of the business world. Um, my, my older brother also worked in the business, and um, I realized, uh, and this is kind of what being in your early 20s and with a lot of hormones raging through your system, I realized I was always going to be the youngest, and I was always going to be the little brother. So I decided to, you know, take a jump into the, into the pool and jump into the, the deep end. I happened to get uh, an offer by uh, by Citibank to to join their management associate program, and so I was off to the races. Um, I I learned early on that I had a an interesting talent that not a lot of folks have, which was being able to work both the analytical and and the quantitative side as well as the people management side. Nice. And so um, I would kind of pivot back and forth within my banking career. Um, I went from, from Citibank to a, a, a small bank in Richmond, Virginia called uh, Signet Bank, which about six months after I arrived at Signet Bank, working in the credit card division, we ended up uh, spinning that off and that became Capital One in, in 1994 hmm. um, or 1995, maybe. Um, from there, uh, working with uh, First Union in Charlotte, and I was exposed to a whole host of different areas of the bank, different disciplines. And I was just really good at being able to pick up those things, whether it was uh, credit card-based lending, um, home equities, mortgages, uh, unsecured lending. It was, it was the, the discipline of credit risk management. It was managing people. It was uh, diving into the analytical piece. And um, I realized this is something that I think I can probably leverage and do uh, something something else within my life. Um, My first boss at Citibank uh, invited me to come back to Atlanta, which was my dream come true. Um, He had uh, pivoted into the health information management industry. And so he uh, said, do you want to, do you want to take a leap? So I'd gone from manufacturing 
to financial services and now I was going into a completely different vertical. And yet again, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to have a good team around me and, and, and have the right combination of circumstances where um, I had a really uh, successful stint in, in that world. And then in 2002, I started my own business. Yeah, CSR. Tell me about CSR. Well, people want to know, CSR, is that corporate social responsibility? And I guess now it is. Yeah, but sort of. The, the reason uh, I picked those letters was it was very straightforward. Um, it, we do consulting, we offer solutions, and we drive results. And I, I, I picked those three because in my time in corporate America, um, what I noticed over and over again was that when there was a need to bring in um, somebody that, or some organization that could provide cover, you know, let's bring in KPMG, let's bring in Price Waterhouse, whatever, um, for the organization that they wanted to do something, but they needed to have that car blanche, that, you know, that, uh, that cover to fly under. They would bring them in. Those guys would talk to many times my team and I, we would say, here's what we need to do and lay it out. They would take that. They would put it into a nice color uh, PowerPoint and they would present it. Management would sign off, the board would sign off, whomever. And then we were given the plan back and, you know, basically we would implement, you know, after relieving the pockets of the bank or whatever organization by usually, you know, six digits, it was up to us to implement what we were already suggesting be done. So my focus was always, let's, let's focus on the results. Let's not only propose something, let's also get them from point A to point B. And that's, you know, actually one of our, our points of differentiation. It's one of the, the things that we do um, that we believe defines us and makes us be different than other folks. Sure. Yeah, because there's a lot of companies that will come in and point out all the things that are wrong. That's and then right. they hand you the report and say, good luck, Godspeed. See you later. Yeah, <laughs> good luck. Yeah. Um, you know, if I could, just one, one other point here. You know, we talk about our three uniques. And one of them is we focus on business owners and their organizations. So I, I really, I really care about the owner of that of that business. We tend to focus on smaller ones, fifty million in annual revenues and below. And those guys are the ones that, boy, they just make America tick, you know. Yeah. And so we want to work with those folks. We want to help them realize their dreams. So we focus on them and their organizations. Um, the way we get compensated is tied to owner success. That's, a, you know, that's a little bit different as well. Um, but to the point that we were just discussing, you know, we implement what we recommend. So if, you know, somehow one of the things that we suggested not, you know, for, for them to, to implement ends up either not being correct or needs to be adjusted, we like to be able to be there to say, okay, well, let's take it, let's pop the hood on it and let's figure out how to make this thing work the way you know, we'd originally intended for it to work. Nice. So what is the biggest challenge you see for these executives of these? I, you're, they're considered small businesses a lot of times, even though, you know, they're, they're in the millions, they've got, you know, hundreds of employees and stuff. They're still considered small businesses. What do you see as the biggest challenge you're facing? So if you'll recall, um, one of the words that you asked me uh, about the one that turns me off is apathy, right? Mm -hmm. Um, we have four core values at CSR, tenacity, versatility, caring, and openness. You'll notice that caring is listed third. 
and it's listed third for a reason. Um, I can't care more about your business than you do. So a very brief story here. One of our clients owned um, a business that would take, um, you know, think, think about driving in the country and you see a guy and he's got, you know, a lot, you know, huge parcel of land and he's got maybe vehicles getting a suntan on that uh, piece of land. And one of them might even have a tree growing out of where the engine block should be. So this guy would specialize on two particular models. I'm going to see if I can remember. One of them was a um, the Toyota Land Cruiser models, and the other one were um, were Land Rovers. Okay. And you know, if people could get him the, those vehicles, tree growing through the the hood and all, he would take them and he would restore them. And he did amazing work. He was wow. a true artist. Um, he had a lot of the idiosyncrasies that a lot of times people ascribe to artists. To make a long story, a long entertaining story short. Um, in our work with him, we found that there came a point where he was not responding. He wasn't responding to telephone calls, texts, emails, anything. About two days goes by and go by and I get a phone call from his wife. Well, you know, this guy was in jail. Mm -hmm. um, why he was in jail is a different story, but he was in jail. And so we had to step in and we had to run this guy's company for a couple of weeks while we you know, figured out how to find him, leave counsel and, and, you know, get him on bail and, and, and pull him out of jail so that, you know, he would not be in jail anymore. Um, he was very blase about it. It wasn't the first time for him, but you know, that was a real lesson for me that I can't like cater to somebody who doesn't care as much about their business as I do for it, yeah. you know? So anyway. Wow. And tenacity, why is that important? So um, you have to be willing, if you're going to do the kind of work we do, you have to be willing to meet people where they are. Where they are. And sometimes it's, you know, they've got three-fourths of the solution and they've just been blind to that missing 25%. Sometimes they got 10% of the solution. And you got to be able to be tenacious and figure out, okay, how do I get this person to understand there's this 90% that's missing and then, you know, get them, get them along the way. So tenacity is something that has, has served us. I mean, it's easy to throw your hands up in the air and say, you know what, you may fit for our ideal client profile, but this is something that we don't want to deal with. Here's a name of somebody else that, that can help you. Yeah. If you fit our ideal client profile, we're going to figure out how to help you. And that obviously ties in closely to, to the versatility piece. I mean, Sometimes you have to go around an obstacle. Sometimes you have to go over it. Sometimes you have to go through it, um, you know, and, and it can get messy and sticky sometimes, you know. Sounds yeah. a little bit like rugby. Over, under, through. <laughs> rugby, rugby is a good, a good life, uh, a good life skill to, to have gone through. Um, I, I heard you talking on one of your podcasts, uh, Harlan, uh, with, uh, uh, with Jeff Bartholomew, you, you guys were talking about golf and mm -hmm. I can tell there's a lot of love there. Sure. Um, I, I never would invite my clients to play golf because I'm not a go good golf player. I would invite them to, to play rugby with me. And okay. for some reason, I didn't get too many takers. Over the years. <laughs> I got to understand why, you know, 
But one thing I really learned about rugby is, you know, you have to not just focus on being at a certain situation. You have to be thinking, I'm not going to make every play. Let me plan on where the ball is going to be, you know, in two or three plays. Let me make sure that I show up, I'm present, and I'm ready for whatever the situation demands. And, oh, by the way, you know, I might be oxygen starved in my brain at that time. So let me make sure that I've practiced and I have a lot of good muscle memory so that I'm not counting necessarily on my brain to figure something out. I just know what I have to do in a given situation. Nice. Yeah. Any sports and definitely rugby, there's a lot that translates into the boardroom that translates into consulting and working with these companies, looking ahead, seeing where they headed now, where do they need to be? How do I get there first? How do I help them? That's right. That's right. Very cool. So how many people do you have working for you at CSR? Gosh, um, we're up to 14 folks. Um, And it's, it's, it's interesting. You don't have to be an attorney. You don't have to be a CPA. You don't have to be an engineer. You don't have to be an architect. You don't have to be any specific profession that we help. We have a lot of folks that are. I mean, I think right now our latest count is three or four attorneys. They're non-practicing attorneys, but our clients just like it when the people that are working with them understand the vocabulary. Um, They get them. Um, Over the years, I've obviously picked up a lot of that same vocabulary, but there's nothing like going through, you know, law school. There's nothing like being a resident, you know, on some hospital floor and, and dealing with people, you know, life and death issues, et cetera. And so um, we have a great group of people and we would be nothing without them. Nice. And at the bank, you had teams, right? About how many people would you say you, you had working for you at the bank? Wow. Well, depending on the situation, because being part of that credit risk management function, um, there were times where I would have to kind of step in and run organizations if they had to take out the, the leader or whatever. But from as small as no direct reports to as many as, you know, several hundred. Um, I also did an engagement where I put um, my business on, on the shelf for three years from 2006 to 2009. And I made a commitment to my church and I ran for, I'm Catholic. I ran for a religious order of priests, their North American operations, their global um, order. (laughs) And um, there were about 3000 people in, uh, in the North American uh, different organizations. And so those all reported up into me. Nice. Um, I, I love it. I mean, I, I really get a charge out of being able to meet people where they're at, help them figure out their best and highest uh, uh, value and, 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 and turn them loose and get out of their way, you know? Awesome. So if I was to bump into any of these people, either here locally in Atlanta, around the, the South, You've worked these different companies and stuff. If I was to bump into anybody and, and ask them about you, what, what would they say? What type of leader would they say you are? Um, I would be surprised if the word intense doesn't come up at some point in the conversation. Rightly or wrongly, I mean, um, I try and bring my game, my best game to, to every situation. Um, I try and lead by example. Um, you know, one of my favorite uh, authors is, is Jim Collins. And, you know, mm-hmm. he mentions the whole, you know, concept of professional will and personal humility. 
Um, I try and do that. I know I fail a lot, but I try and do that. And that's what I would hope, you know, for all of my, my foibles, my idiosyncrasies and my wrinkles, I would hope that that's, those are some of the kind of words that people use to describe me and what I'm about. Nice. Very cool. Um, so let's switch over to courage. The podcast is all about the courage lead. Um, where did you find the courage? A lot of people get stuck in that nine to five comfort zone. They're comfortable letting somebody else make the decisions for them. They're comfortable letting them put their neck on the line and everything like that. Um, and then there's others that say, no, they're either I want more or I see a gap that needs to be filled. Um, how about you? Where did you find the courage to step out and into your success? Uh, I got to tell you, I mean, who I am and what I am starts with God, but boy, he, he put the right woman in my path. I mean, I've been married 32 years to this woman. She was the one that um, I would always use the excuse when I was an employee. Gosh, I wish I could just find the right partner so I could start my own business. And how come I can't find somebody to do this with me? And on and on and on. And I remember it was 2000, it was probably January, February of 2002. And I remember we were outside on the front porch of our house. We were living in Cumming, Georgia at that time. And she had a baby sitting on her hip. And she looked at me. She said, you know, I'm right here. And I've been your partner all this time. Let's just do this. I mean, I still get goosebumps thinking nice. about that. You know, she's awesome. You know, that's how, that's how I took that step. Because I knew, okay, I got somebody running next to me now. And, and she's, she's been with me throughout. And. And she's just, uh, she's awesome. And, and I try and provide that same type of companionship to our clients. Mm -hmm. I try and provide that same type of availability, you know, either myself or the people that work for me down within our, our organization. I mean, it just, it makes all the difference in the world. Who Absolutely. wants to be by themselves, you know? Absolutely. No, that is crucial. Absolutely. Having that. But your parents were immigrants too. Did you learn, did you get your strength from them too? Boy, you know, as I've tried to kind of do, again, eat my own cooking and do my own strategic planning for, for my own business with the help of others, because it's, it's hard to operate on yourself. I've done a lot of reflection over the past few years. And, you know, it's really hit home that watching my dad and my, my aunt as well, which is a different story, you know, they both, she was a uh, a physician, my dad, you know, I, I shared with you already a little bit about his background, but they came here to this country. They busted their hump. You know, imagine you're uprooted. You have to go to another country where the, the language, either you have to learn it or it's not your first language and you have to get up to speed on it. You have to get recredentialed either as a physician or, you know, whatever aspect of, of what my dad was doing. I mean, and then you have to be successful on top of that. Um, Neither of those two people could manage their way out of a wet paper bag. They were terrible managers and they got taken advantage of and they made stupid emotional mistakes. I mean, they did all these things. And I realized probably this is just a few years ago. I, I realized I built my business with that informing my who and my what and my why, you know, I mean, there's nothing that frustrates me more when I see somebody that is just, you know, working 60, 70, 80 hours or more a week. And 
you know, they're, they're providing, but they could be so much more if they just knew how to run things the right way. That to me is what, you know, again, back to your original 10 questions, I'm going to use these questions over and over again. <laughs> That's what drives my passion, you know, is how can I help you achieve what you were designed to be and not let all this business BS get in your way? Very cool. So there's different types of courage. Um, we talk about uh, intellectual courage, right? Being able to set aside your long-held beliefs to make room for new knowledge as it comes up. There's discipline courage, being able to set a plan, ignore the shiny objects and even the, the frustrations and failures that come along to stick with that plan. Um, moral courage, social courage, being able to, to do what's right, to say what needs to be said. Is there a type of courage you think is most important for business owners, business leaders? Um, you know, before our time here today, I was reviewing... Um, we use questionnaires as a way to elicit information from our clients before we have our strategic planning uh, sessions. And um, I was looking through uh, this questionnaire of one of our clients that we're going to be doing um, in the coming weeks. And over and over again, one of the things that this guy is complaining about himself is his inability to have clarity in his decision-making and then uh, to execute. I think that, and I looked at my, I look at myself and the anecdote that I shared with you of, you know, going out on my own, I think that the courage to take that, that step, that step into the unknown and be willing to, um, to, to do what you know that you're supposed to do, um, is something that a lot of people really struggle with, um, mm -hmm. You may have heard the story of, you know, one of the early Spanish conquistadors to the new world, uh, Hernán Cortés, um, or I guess pronounced not Spanish, Hernán Cortés. Um, this guy had a very small number of Spanish soldiers, and he basically went, whatever your political flavors are, mm -hmm. he went and he conquered the Aztec nation. Um before he did that, though, when he was there on the beach, he went and those ships that were there that had brought them to the new world, he burned them. <laughs> no turning back. No turning back, you know. Wow. And I think that if a lot of if a lot more people adopted that burning the, the boats at the, you know, at the beach, you know, approach, if they had that courage, boy they wouldn't be sitting on their duffs as, as much, you know, they would be like making that decision of, okay, I need to do this. You know, it's on me. I'm, you know, I'm providing for my family. I'm providing for my kids, you know, whatever it is that's going to be driving them, it's on them and they got to do it. Yeah. But like you said, they may know I need to do that, but they don't know where that first step comes in. You know, they don't know what to fix first, what to look at first. What, what lever is going to make the difference? I like where you're going with this, Harlan. I mean, one of the things that we tell our clients is you can't have 10 number one priorities. So getting the gift of prioritization is something that comes about from our strategic planning sessions. I mean, as hokey as it sounds, being able to define, we'll call it you know, your statement of strategic purpose, we'll call it your mission, vision, values, 
you got to have a compass. You got to have something that says, here's who I am. Here's the service offering I've got. And this is what I'm going to be doing using that almost like decision filters, you know, using those decision filters, something's going to get stuck in it. If you try and pass it through and you have to make a choice, either I need to change how I've defined myself. I have to change that, that filter so that that thing can go through or, you know, it's a yes, cause it goes through and then whatever goes through, then you have to have the right criteria in place to be able to say, this is going to be the first thing I work on. This is going to be the second thing I work on, et cetera. Yeah. Yeah. I tell my clients, you know, your values are important as, as individuals, we make our decisions based on our core values in business. You should have a set of core values that drive your decisions too. And if you're not sharing those values with your employees, who knows what they're using? Amen. To make their decisions. And because they're going to use something. Something. Yeah. So you definitely have to share those. So you do, you go in, you do an assessment to kind of find out where everybody is. And then you help them put together their strategic plan. So that includes we'll, their values. Yeah. So we'll send out that questionnaire and we'll look also at their financials. So we're taking a qualitative and a quantitative read. Nice. We'll understand where is it that they wanted to take their business. And usually that'll fall into one of three main categories. I want to do this for the rest of my life. Um, I have a kid and that kid is, you know, either at another organization or they're finishing up med school or, or law school or whatever. And if he or she is so inclined, I'd like to create a situation where they can come in and I can transition the business to them. Hmm. Or third, I want to do this for X number more years. And at the end of those years, I want to be able to sell my business for some amount. Those are the three main paths that you'll find most people go down. Um, but we take all of that. Um, I'll pick a subset of my team, typically two or three of us, and we'll sit down and we'll go through all of that data beforehand, such that when we meet with our client that day of the session, we're hitting that starting line rather than at a dead stop, we're hitting it at a job. We already, we already kind of know what's going on. We'll take them through we'll understand, we'll get affirmation or confirmation on what their personal goals are. And then we'll move into that definition of their mission, their vision, and their values. Um, that's a key, key deliverable from that session. Um, from there, and you already put your finger on it, uh, on a couple of aspects of it, but well articulated, your mission, vision, values should define not only who you are, but what kind of clients you should be wanting to go after. It should inform your ideal client profile. It should inform what types of services or products you should be selling. It should be something that you use to define what types of employees or contractors you want, your referral partners, your vendors. I mean, truly, this is something that should become embedded right in the center of your business and should drive who and what you are. From that, that definition, we then move into a SWOT analysis. And as we're going through the four quadrants of the SWOT, we really focus on those opportunities so we can then determine strategic objectives. The strategic objectives from what we learned in the mission, vision, and values, we'll use that to rank order. And then we'll generate a five-year pro forma that says, here's what we heard. And if you take these strategic objectives, it could be, I want to add another practice area. You know, I'm a I'm a, you know, I'm an ophthalmologist, but um, I've learned that, you know, I can also treat um, 
some dermatological um, aspects around the eye. So I need to go find, you know, some other people to help me grow that practice area. Okay, well, you know, what is that going to cost? How much revenue can we expect? How long is it going to take? You know, we take all of those kind of things. We map it out into a very easy to understand pro forma because we don't need our clients to be CPAs, but they got to understand the numbers. You sure, know, sure. if you're going to be a business owner, you have to understand where you're making money, where you're not making money. And then we wrap this all up into a plan and seven to 10 business days after the session, we're presenting that plan to them. We're getting their input and their feedback. If there's any tweaks, we include that. And then we give them the option of either taking that plan and running with it on their own, or we can link arms with them and we can work to implement that plan. Nice. Is that a one-year plan? Five-year plan? Um, what is it? We, so the pro forma is for five years, okay. but the focus that we provide is on an annual basis. And then we'll even take that annual basis and we'll break it up into 90-day chunks where we're working on typically two to three priorities um, uh, per 90-day chunk. So that we're, we're just, it's a laser focus on things. Nice. And then at the end of the year, um, and you know, we give people uh, the ability to, to terminate that, that implementation with a 30 day notice, you know, at any mm -hmm. time for any reason, the last thing I want to do is hold a, a client hostage. So we exactly. give them, you know, that 30 day out, but um, if they're staying on board, what we do is every year we do a refresh mm -hmm. of the strategic plan and, you know, we'll cast out then what the next year is that five year pro forma, you know, we'll drop off year one and we'll add a new year five and, you know, that's kind of what we're doing. We have some clients that, you know, our, our longest term client is 11 years with us. Wow. Um, we've had, you know, seven, eight, five years. Uh, the typical amount of time that people stay with us is 18 to 24 months. Nice. Um, even then they'll come back and say, Hey, can you, you know, can you do this project or can you do that, you know, initiative for us? And as long as you've gone through the strategic planning process, cause that really tells us a lot yeah. about who and what you're about that's your ticket to the dance. We'll, we'll work with you then. Very cool. Yeah. That strategic analysis and the, the strategic plan is important. Um, working with clients, a lot of times I, I realize I have to really get them to simplify. Who are you? What do you do? Who do you do it for? And why? A lot of times they can't even articulate that, you know? Amen. Amen. Yeah. That why is so important. Yeah. Cause that helps drive everything. Um, with the SWOT analysis, I, a lot of times we'll add a trend in there. If this is a business that there are some trends coming up, are they aware of the trends? Are they prepared for the trends? Are they too late to get involved? It's almost like uh, surfing. That trend is like a wave. Right. Are you out in front of it and yeah. riding it for all yeah. it's worth? Or are you behind it to where you can't, or are you getting slammed into the, into the coral? What's going on? Yeah. Um, do you help them put together a plan on how to, like the, the weaknesses that you've identified to get those over into the strengths column? Do you get to that level? Absolutely. So the, when we're looking at that SWAT, you know, we see items that are in the strengths, the weaknesses and the threats as um, uh, almost um, contributors to the opportunity. Call. Yes. Um, so, you know, with your strengths, the opportunities there are going to be, let's make sure that we're leveraging the heck out of those strengths. And, you know, we're, we're making use of all of your assets. On the weaknesses, that's pretty straightforward. You know, you've got a weakness here. The opportunity is going to be things to overcome those weaknesses. And then very similarly to the threats. I mean, you, you've, I'm sure, heard that you know, your strengths and your weaknesses tend to be internal in nature. 
your opportunities and threats tend to be, you know, external in nature. So yeah. uh, it's a comprehensive uh, approach that we take. Um, I love the trends piece um, that, that you mentioned. I mean, it's something that we don't do within the SWAT, but, you know, we, we had, for example, a dermatology practice that we've been working with for, for about four years. And with them, it's always, you know, what's the shiny bright toy. So they were looking at all these different lasers and cool sculpting and this, that, and it's like, time out guys, you know, I mean, what's, what's your proposed payback, you know, analysis on this indicate? First of all, they'd never heard of a pay. Well, they'd never, they'd never had a budget in their over 30 years of existence. They didn't know what a payback analysis was. I mean, it's giving them those tools. We ultimately ended up getting that, that, that uh, cool sculpting laser for them. Uh, the original uh, forecast was that it would pay, its, pay itself off in 14 months. We got it done in 10 Everybody was thrilled about that. But, you know, it was the first time that they had been intentional with something so significant as that. And that for them was like, okay, this is this is now the new fulcrum. And this is the way that everything is going to be run within the practice. Awesome. Very cool. Yeah, because a lot of times businesses will see their competitors doing something. Ooh, I want to do that. Or, oh, I want to do too. that. Me and too. Me too. They spread themselves out so thin. It's like what is it you do and, and who do you do it for? And do that focus exactly. on that and be, be good. You are, you are preaching the gospel there, Harlan. Yeah. I'll step down off the soapbox. <laughs> no, 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 for sure. It's great. So what's next for you? You've done a, you've done a bunch the degree from Georgia tech, which is awesome. Master's degree, any books or anything like that in the works? You got to have a book. So, uh, uh, I think, People, the expression is everybody's got a book, at least one book in them. Uh, I dabble with that. Um, my big uh, effort and my big initiative, again, trying to eat my own cooking. Um, uh, my wife's family is all, ha we have a similar background. Her parents also were from Cuba. Uh, both of us have, you know, relatively recent uh, family that, that's from Spain. Um, we went over there you know, as part of working with, with that religious order of priests there, one of their headquarters was in Monterey, Mexico. And then another one was in, uh, was in the Vatican. And so we would go for, for quarterly meetings over to the Vatican. I, I decided I wanted to go and reconnect with my family in Spain. And so I would take a, uh, a Ryanair from, from Rome up to the Northwest corner of Spain, where part of my family's from, uh, to make a, a, a long story, not as long. Um, what we ended up doing, because the kids were all, man, this is great. I mean, they're, they're all, they also speak Spanish. They also get the culture. And um, we went and we found ourselves um, a house that was probably four or 500 years old that had the roof caving in. And um, what we did is we bought that house. And wow. what we're doing now is we're in process of restoring it. It's on I don't know if you've heard of uh, the pilgrimage path that in English, they call it the way in Spanish, yes. El Camino. Yeah. Um, not to be confused with the car that was introduced <laughs> here in, in the U S uh, but you know, it's on El Camino. One of the things that, that we're doing is we're putting together something that allows us to combine our love for history, the Catholic faith uh, uh, traditions and that house. So that as pilgrims are going by and, we did the research. There's like probably between 150 and 200,000 pilgrims that go by that piece of land wow. every year and offer something that, that 
engages with folks and, and, and stuff. I'm going to be working till the day I die. <laughs> I have five kids, four yeah. of them are girls. And yeah. you know, you mentioned your daughter's getting married now in yes. California. <laughs> I feel you, man. I feel you. So I'm going to be working till the day I die, but you know, it'd be good to like start introducing aspects of things that are, you know, kind of close to, 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 to my heart in addition to, to the business. I got a great team of people that I've assembled and I've been trying to scale myself. So anyway, cool. that's the plan, right? That's awesome. So what would that house offer to travelers? Um, well, um, that's part of the stuff that we're currently working on um, is defining what, it, I mean, a, a lot of people have gone over there and then they'll offer what they refer to as alberias. And an alberia is basically, basically it's like a hostel. You go okay. and you pay eight or 10 euros, you know, you can drop your backpack there and you've got a bunk to sleep on. I'm not really interested in that. I'm, I'm, I'm kind of looking at it as, you know, as you're walking through this part of, of Spain that is largely depopulated. In fact, there's a website now that you can go to where you can buy an abandoned village, you wow. know, for whatever. Um, the thought process was, wouldn't it be cool if you could learn about, you know, maybe some of like what people used to do there? I mean, uh, I don't want to offend any vegans or vegetarians in the crowd, but, you know, there is the tradition of killing a pig in the fall. And then just it's a community event and then mm -hmm. they go and they 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 butcher it and they do all these kind of things with it. And if you've never seen one of those things, it is a sight to see. So. Mm -hmm you know, kind of like when you do an Airbnb and then you get spammed like the week before with, here's all the activities and yeah. it'd be something like that. Maybe, yeah. you know, there's a bunch of chestnut trees in that part of, of Spain. And so uh, they used to be collected and they used to, people would do stuff, you know, you can eat them, you can do all these. Well, right now they fall and they just sit on the ground and they rot because, mm -hmm. you know, the, the village that we bought this house in, there's seven people in it. I mean, when I show up wow. with my family, we double the population, right? <laughs> wow. Um, and the average age is like, I don't know, probably in the early 60s. So it would be like understanding what people used to do and be able to create some kind of an experience where if you're a pilgrim and you've gone through, you're going to know a little bit more about the people and, and the land, you know, after you've yeah. gone through. Nice. Very cool. Very cool. All right. Alex, if, if people want to get in touch with you or learn more about CSR, where can they find you? What's your website? So our website is expertiseinresults.com. I, I try again, I'll try and hammer home that point. <laughs> expertiseinresults.com. Um, nice. You know, um, my email is alex at expertiseinresults.com. Um, okay. You know, we're um, LinkedIn, uh, uh Twitter. I mean, we're, we're in all the different, you know, channels. Um, cool. but, uh, you can grab me that way, all of my information or my team, if you would prefer to talk to somebody who's not as intense as me, <laughs> they're, they're all on there too. Awesome. And where do you play rugby? You get out well, there and play every once in a while, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a boyish 56 years old, so I'm not as active as I used to be, but, um, when I do play, I play with a team called high country and they're, uh, there's like probably four or five teams in Atlanta. I live in the city of Atlanta. So um, these guys are just a couple of miles down the road and, and, you know, we'll play Emory. We'll play uh, Chattanooga, Columbus. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting. Very cool. 
Good you're stuff. Welcome to, you're welcome to join us, Harlan. I will come down and watch. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I am good at watching. All right, Alex, this has been great. Thank you so much for Thank agreeing you, to be Harlan. on the podcast. And, uh, I really appreciate it. Oh, had a good time. Listeners, hope you guys were taking notes. A lot of good takeaways from this. Um, and check out Alex at expertiseinresults.com. Right? Yes, sir. All right. And uh, hope you guys were taking notes. If you uh, like this podcast episode, make sure you share it with your family, friends, and colleagues and stick around because there's always more coming. And that's it for me, Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 